The Baptist and the Buddhist, identical twin brothers with two vastly different faiths. Join them as they explore their respective religions and how they differ and how they relate. Same DNA, different religions. Hey everybody, this is The Baptist and the Buddhist with Mark and Brian. And you are listening to Season 2, Episode 8, which is... Eight pretty ironic because of the topic we're discussing today but before then but before we get on to that a word from your sponsors the baptist and the buddhist (laughs) (laughs) if you want to hear from or if if we want to hear from you what you want to hear from us or anything else that you might want to say to us feel free Baptist and Buddhist at gmail.com. No thes, no definite articles in that. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, any podcast app out there. Possibly imagine. I think we just got picked up on Samsung's podcast platform, wherever they're at. So I saw that was a new one. So I clicked yes um, behind the scenes. Um, and then. Man, we're everywhere. We're even on TikTok and Reddit. Technically, I don't know what Reddit is going to do for us at this point, but technically, we're everywhere. We're in your home right now. We already we did we did this uh, this skit once, didn't we? (laughs) (laughs) I think so. I think so. Okay. Well, the only place we are not at is a theater near you. Yet, hint, hint. Just kidding. I was just about to say yet. So. Oh, I mean, I guess you could like rent a theater and then like play one of our episodes there or something. But <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. Sorry for my squeaky chair. Um. So Brian, now that that's all out of the way, episode eight, which is eight. I I just pointed this out before we started streaming and before we started recording that. That's the past tense of eat. I hope you. I hope everyone ate because you're about to get a little hungry. Yep, we are talking all about food and maybe dietary uh, practices in our religion. What what maybe. are we all about, Brian? Because I know some listeners out there and some viewers might be like, "Why are these guys that sound the same talking to each other?" What well, is actually, we are the same. We're actually exactly the same person. This is pre-recorded, and it's just a fake beard. Yeah, I, it, um, I know it's not that good of a, a script, fake beard, but like, it looks like weird. everything we're saying right now is all scripted and uh, matched up, so it seems real. Very real. Like, see, I knew exactly. I pre-recorded that side before yeah. I recorded this side. You're, you're see, oh, I, love the I love the timing. I love the timing. No, this is live. We are identical twin brothers exploring our vastly different faiths. Yep. Um, you guys get to... As the mug says, same DNA, different religions. Yep. And really, the uh, this whole show is just us conversing about our beliefs because we haven't really done that before now. So, like... You are listening. It's like you're on. A, you're a fly on the wall, 
you're listening in real time to two brothers talking about, or two twin brothers, I should say, talking about identical twin friends. brothers. We should say, and we have we been, say. yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're not in the same room or state right now, but we will make that happen one of these days. We will. Yep. So, food. Well, define food. No. <clears throat> so, I'm actually gonna real quick define the the buddhist definition of food and the buddha actually lists four kinds of nutriments um one of which is edible food gross and subtle um not like gross like you but <laughs> but uh the second is contact mental volition and consciousness um and we're gonna be focusing on edible food today <laughs> But it is it is technically one of the four kinds of nutriment, according to Buddhism. Interesting. I that that's a really uh, interesting um, bit that you had there. Yeah. Uh, that that which I guess feeds something. An edible food feeds the physical body. Yeah, it I mean, sustains it. I mean, in a, a non colloquial sense or um if i said that word right in a non-faith-based sense food is sustenance it's it's how we derive a majority of our energy from ultimately from the 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 energy source of the sun the star that we're encircling and it's brought through plants and that energy is dispersed among the living beasts and humans and sometimes transferred via beast to humans so <laughs> animals sometimes <laughs> sometimes yep um, not all the time so for for uh for me as most of our listeners know and viewers know maybe some don't know and that's why i'm going to mention this for me i we're the Baptists and the Buddhists on the Baptist side, loosely, uh, loosely defined as a Baptist. Um, and so I'm, I come from a biblical perspective. Um, so when we, when I was approaching food, I got very hungry, very fast. No, uh, <laughs> oh man, I'm just going to joke about food all night. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. We um, pre-apologize. Yeah. We're, we are feeling very punny tonight. And I'm I I'll take some butter on that pun. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> oh yes. So with uh with food, I was there were two kind of uh, avenues of eatery that I wanted to go down. Um, Did you say drive-through? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, so there were two, two avenues, two drive-throughs that I wanted to t- that I wanted to hit up with this um, episode. Um, one was one is the idea of dietary laws and like restrictions and stuff, but also the the liberty of not only food but you know everything else that a that a Christian would have in this day and age. Um, So the first thing that I thought about food was, you know, probably one of the most interesting and weird 
passages of scripture is like the Levitical laws in the book of Leviticus, um, which basically Leviticus is derived from the tribe of Levi, Levi Iticus, um, or Leviticus, um, and they were the one. The tribe of Levi were was the one to be the like the practitioners of the the tabernacle and temple, and a lot of the food laws and the laws in general applied to how they performed their sacrifices and stuff. Um, but food, uh, we see food in Genesis in the book of Genesis when we start off in Genesis one. Um, God creates everything we've talked we've touched on that shortly with like talking about animals and stuff but God created the the and the the planet the the plants the uh, the animals and and mankind and then he gave the animals and mankind the green herb and the fruit that it's that it yields as food as meat um, the Bible uses the word meat for food. It's not always just, it's not always muscle of an animal, but it's a lot of times when it says meat, M-E-A-T, it means just food. Um, like some bread is called meat in the Bible. So it has like a more general term. But when when we look at what did they eat in the Garden of Eden, obviously it's fruit and plants. There was one fruit that they couldn't eat, um, and that was on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and you know, there's so many there's so many people that speculate what kind of fruit was it. Um, well, the the biblical literist literalists will try to determine what kind of fruit was it, and most like. Most people will say it's a fi- it was a fig tree, definitely a fig tree. Um, mm. They just say that because that's a that's a Middle Eastern Israeli fruit that's common. Um, there's also date yeah, I think, trees. I I think a lot of people also just kind of assume from cartoons and whatnot that it's an apple. An apple, and which never said it, it was an apple. No, no, and that probably came from some classical painting somewhere. But I definitely don't think it's an apple. I don't. I don't think it's a fig, and it could be a fruit that we don't know what it is, but I've heard a, some interesting speculation that it was grapes. It's like, oh, but that came from trees, though. It came from a tree, though. I was just about to say. But the Bible does define the grape plant as a vine tree, so you never know. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, typology or, like, um, the Bible likes to use a lot of... Uh, analogy in in items and in things so like a grape whenever you see grape or wine it usually symbolizes blood um and we all know that we're well from the from a biblical point of view um basically the blood of man is cursed so like seeing that it was a grape that they ate from uh from the forbidden tree um and it kind of tainted their blood um, give, given, giving mankind a sin nature. That's, that's why some people speculate it's, it was a grape, a vine tree. If it was a grape, it was probably one of those cotton candy grapes. Cause oh my gosh, those are good. I, I've never tried those. I don't think I saw I tried them, them once. 
I tried them once and I was like, I don't get it. And then like several years later, I tried them again and I'm like, whoa, this is delicious. They've changed your It doesn't recipe. taste like cotton candy. It just tastes really good. Hmm. Interesting. I'll have to <laughs> anyway. pick some of those up. I mean, you see grapes in the Bible, especially when uh, Joshua is taking Israel into the promised land and conquering over um, the occupants there. You see like giant grape clusters like these like two people have to carry these grape clusters on a pole um and some people speculate that they're large grapes some people speculate that they're just really large clusters that you couldn't even carry but it was in the lands of the giants and there's a lot of speculation about you know experimenting with human dna and stuff like that um but um so yeah they ate they ate the herbs of the field and the, the fruit thereof or that that it uh, bore um so basically fruits and vegetables i mean it's as simple as that uh, you don't see them eating meat until after the flood when god put enmity between man and animal and he said you can eat meat now um but there there's reference to some meat being unclean and what does that it looks mean? like meats back on the menu yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man i love it <laughs> but yeah it looks like meat is back on the menu boys and they they used animals to sacrifice um to god and they got to eat it too um there are there there were some clean and unclean animals and like what does that mean well unclean animals they weren't supposed to eat or touch touch the dead carcasses well they're really not supposed to touch touch like dyed carcasses unless they kill themselves but um but there's also clean animals that you can eat and you you see that um when noah went on the ark god commanded him to take seven of each clean animal and two of unclean and seven would be probably for sacrifices and also for eating um not that noah knew he was going to eat it right away or anything but maybe it's to get the food population up or something i don't know i mean there are only eight people coming off the ark so it couldn't have been that desperate for food but um so in leviticus after after a couple thousand years of human history up to this point we finally see um, God putting down the his laws in writing and in commandment to the nation of Israel, um, and this was after they came out of the came out of Egypt and they were delivered from Egypt, and He gave them lots and lots of laws, not just ten commandments; those were His ten main commandments, but He gave them hundreds of laws to follow, and a part of it was what animal you can and cannot eat. And, and I think a lot of people like look at these Jewish laws, and these are really just the laws of the Jewish religion, if you will. Um, God calls it a pure religion, the, the Jewish religion in the Bible. Um, and I think a lot of people just look at it as like, well, these are really weird laws that it's just because God told them to. But there there's a multifaceted purpose when you look at why he made these laws specifically for man one of them I, i've heard this a lot is that 
back then especially they couldn't they didn't have good sanitation so like pigs specifically had a lot of bacteria and worms and disease and he didn't want Israel to get sick um, so a lot of these different animals they couldn't eat was for a good reason is for uh, basically uh, disease control um, sick uh, sickness control um, but there's there's also a specifically stated purpose for all of these laws for Israel and that is to be holy and sanctified well, what does that mean? That means to be set apart, to to stand out from everyone else. And at that time, Israel was separate, separated in God's eyes from the Gentiles, which he, which he basically gave up. It says in the Pauline epistles that God gave up the Gentiles to their own uh, desires, basically. Like, okay, you Gentiles, non-Jews, can do whatever. I'm going to choose my own nation to work through. So now Israel has these these commandments to follow to be set out to be set out to be separate from the rest of the world and that was to give god give god emphasis among the people of the world um, so they would be drawn to him through one nation um, and i i went through leviticus 11 yesterday and that talks all about unclean and clean food um, and i just made some notes there's some really interesting weird things in these um, passages about clean animals um, they had to have like a clean animal would be a, a parted hoof or like a cloven hoof like a uh, like a cloven foot and had to chew the cud um, which you know they regurgitate or process something and they chew it up again um, for further digestion so he he gives god gives examples of pigs camels and rabbits um, rabbits eat s certain pellets that they produce, and I guess that would be considered chewing the cud. Um, and there's uh, there's a lot of, like, this, like, if they have parted hoof but don't chew the cud, yeah, that's unclean. If they have, if they chew the cud but don't have a parted hoof or a cloven foot, like, then they're unclean. Okay, so this is getting pretty specific. And then there was the fish. You had the the only fish they could eat had had to have fins and scales. If it had no fins or no scales, or either or, then you couldn't eat it. So like eels, they don't have fins really. Um, catfish don't have scales. They're like bottom feeders. So maybe that was that would be like the biological reason not to eat them because they might be more disease risen than other fish. Who knows. Um, and then the birds um, was very, very specific. <laughs> um, did you have a question or something? No. Okay. So the birds, he specified by like each kind of bird. He said no eagle, no ostrich. I'm guessing it's kind of like an ostrich or something. Um, no osprey, no vulture, no kite, raven, owl, nighthawk, swan, pelican, stork, heron, lapwing, bat. Like all these types of flying creatures, he's like, no. Um, uh, but like, you know, uh, I think he, I, I think I, I would have to reread it, but I think he basically disqualified the birds and it's like anything else you can eat. Um, instead of like, you have to eat this type of bird. It's like anything that's not these cool birds, basically. <laughs> that's how I read it. <laughs> um, 
Um, and bats, obviously, because you'll get COVID. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and then he talks about bugs. Yeah, God told you to eat bugs, apparently. Um, don't eat bugs that crawl on their feet. Uh, on uh, You can eat bugs that hop. I think he puts it as a, that leap with all upon the earth. Um, so bugs that their legs are above their feet, like locusts, grasshoppers, stuff like that, you can eat. Um, okay, I'll go out and eat some right now. Um, even I've I mean I have wanted to try grasshopper and you know a lot of cultures do eat bugs. Um, I think apparently I think th- Israel ate bugs. So I think the majority of the Western world, if if they are prone to eat meat, which you know I'm not, they need to embrace the bug, man. I think it's a very it's a lost food source that we've forgotten about. Not and forgotten about, literally but literally taboo. You. Um, and really, I mean, the closest I can think of like civilized civilization eating bugs is like escargot and snails, which God said not to eat those. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they also, had, they also had, uh, he also, um, called anything that walks upon their paws unclean. So, you know, cats, dogs, um, he specifically says weasel, mouse, tortoise, ferret, chameleon, lizard, snail, and mole. Like those specific animals are unclean. Don't eat those. Um, hmm. So very, very, some of these are very specific. Some of them are not very specific. So um, that was what Israel could eat and could not eat. So, okay, the, those are some pretty specific rules. Um, and, you know, Jews to this day, Hebrews to this day still follow those rules. Um, there are some other food related laws too that I didn't mention. Um, like you couldn't cook a calf in its mother's milk, um, stuff like that. And, you know, you had to, especially with sacrifices and the, the tribe of Levi, they had to sacrifice, uh, the, the different animals specific way, very specific ways. Like, they would have to hold the horns a specific way while they uh, they cut its throat um, after praying upon it and passing their sins to it um, by putting their hand upon it and everything. Like there's so many different ways to sacrifice different animals. And then they would eat the, a lot of the sacrifices. That's That was the food for the tribe of Levi. Um, so it wasn't fruitless sacrifices with nothing to it, um, but they would... They would eat it, and in some cases, the the presence of God would come down and consume uh, their sacrifices. Um, and a lot of the sacrifices, you know, like the the barbecue burning fat, like the Bible describes it as being a, a sweet savor unto the Lord. So, like when I'm outside, and it's like, yeah, it's a sweet savor, and like firing up the barbecue. <laughs> Burnt ends. Burnt ends, yeah. <laughs> um, so very, it, it's a very interesting uh, very interesting way of doing food in the, in the laws of Israel given to God. Um, and, you know, you, so, s- you still see some of that today. So if the Bible says to do this, why, why aren't Christians doing this <laughs> for the most part? Yes. Um, great question. I don't have an answer. No, I'm kidding. I have lots of answers. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you still see p- 
people, even Christians, like we have to stick to these uh, eating habits, like these laws. Um, I was in Israel for a couple weeks and, you know, we got pizza from one place and sat down and this was a uh, lots of markets and restaurants around. We sat down at a table and they came out. It's like, hey, you guys can't eat here because that's not kosher. That's that's not like that food's not up to the Levitical code. Like you guys had to sit in front of another restaurant or you, or they could shut this place down for not being kosher. It's like, Oh, that's kind of serious, but it was a pizza place and you can't eat meat and cheese because of that mother's milk and the calf thing. So, um, so you still, you see a lot of that happening still. Um, a lot of the, especially like messianic Jews, um, do that. Um, the Seventh-day Adventists have very strict vegan diet uh, diet habits. They you're not supposed to eat meat um, or cheese. Really, um, they're they're very almost like back to the garden kind of eating. So um, they're they're pretty serious about it. Uh, but from a biblical point of view, uh, there's this thing that I keep bringing up called like called dispensationalism. Um, and it, that, I mean, that's just a form of studying the Bible, but when we look at rightly dividing scripture, where's the divide? Because obviously there's something different between the old Testament, um, law and something that's happened now. And in, in my circle of beliefs and from the way I study the Bible, the Apostle Paul is that division. It's not the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's still under Old Testament law. Jesus practiced the Jewish law, um, and he taught the Jewish law, and that's the only books they had. And he read from the Jewish law and the Tanakh. So um, why do we still have to stick to this these laws? Um, and the the short answer is no. Um, because we are under not law, but Paul says we are under grace. Um, and it really there's, there's a little bit of passages, uh, from Paul talking about being under the law of Christ. Um, but I think that's more kind of a transitional thing. I'm not going to get into that uh, theology right now, but, <laughs> um, but specifically Paul, Paul talks about how I mean, Jesus changed everything, especially when he revealed his dispensation of grace through Paul. Because even up until Acts, um, like mid-Acts, when when Jesus' disciples were continuing Jesus' work after he ascended, they were still doing things by um, not so much like Levitical law, but by the progressive... Um, the progressive gospel of the coming kingdom for Israel. So they, um, they had to, uh, they had to still keep by these laws, except for one point. And we're, I'm not even to Paul's, uh, revelation from Jesus yet, but in Acts 10, Peter, one of Jesus's disciples, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was, they were getting Israel ready for the tribulation and the coming kingdom. But Peter saw something really weird. And I, I always laugh at the title that most Bibles give it. It's like Peter and the heavenly sheet or Peter and the sheet. It's like, that's kind of weird. Um, I mean, I guess it's 
not as weird as John eats the book, but um, <laughs> that's in Revelation. But Peter and the sheet. Uh, Peter has this vision, and it's this sheet that's come that's that's coming down, and it actually happened like three or four times. This vision, and it was basically this like this blanket wrapped around a bunch of animals, like unclean animals. Um, like a blanket, like maybe a hammock full of unclean animals just coming down to earth. And it's just the weirdest, most like maybe a parachute. <laughs> well, a lot of people say like an inverted parachute, but maybe it is a parachute like operation Dumbo drop. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Peter sees this sheet full of unclean animals and he's like, what in the world is this? And God's like, Peter rise up and eat. And he's like, I can't, I've never eaten these animals before. They're unclean. And, and God's like, you like, you rise up and eat them. It's like, okay, that's weird. And then like, he had to go on some other errand. And eventually Peter like preaches to some Gentiles. Um, he preaches the king, the gospel of the kingdom, but he starts reaching out to Gentiles to draw them to, to Israel, uh, to be reconciled to God. Um, and a lot of people say, well, that's when God made like all animals clean for us or you know we can eat clean animals i wouldn't i wouldn't say no to that but where we get our definitive like we can eat anything we want because we're free from the law we're not we're not bound to the law we're not bound to sin because the law and sin kind of go hand in hand because there is law there is sin but we're free from all of that through the blood of christ through the grace of god and uh, Paul explicitly mentions this uh, in, uh, I mean, several places. But the first place that I thought was in First Corinthians ten twenty three. He talked. He he's saying all things are lawful for me. So like every, every anything's lawful for me to do because we're covered by the blood of Christ. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Nothing can break the the. Um, the cleansing of Jesus's blood, like nothing can, nothing can take that away because it was God's blood that, that made us free. So all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but not all things or but all, all things edify not. Um, and he says, let no man seek his own, but every man, another's wealth, um, for the, uh, well, whatsoever is sold in shambles that, that eat asking no question for conscience sake for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So he's basically saying like everything in the earth is, is God's like nothing is unlawful to eat. Um, if any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and ye disposed to, or, and ye be disposed to go. So like, okay, I'm kind I kind of have to go to this feast that are, non-believers they're not they're, maybe they're feeding us unclean things whatsoever is set before you eat asking no question for conscious sake like go ahead and eat it like don't worry about it but if any man saying to you hey this is offered in sacrifice unto idols eat not for his sake or he's not saying this but eat not for his sake that showed it for his conscious uh, and for conscious sake for the earth is the lord's and the fullest thereof so he like I'll go into this a little bit more because it's, it kind of comes down to like principle and ethics of eating as a, as a believer in Christ. Um, conscious, I say not thine own, but 
of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? So, uh, and then uh, some of these other passages, he I, I really like. He's saying, uh, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatever so ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Um, and uh, he he kind of uh, covers this if we go back into First uh, Corinthians 8. So a couple chapters before that, he, he goes, he kind of explains like, okay, this last passage he was saying like, you can eat anything, but like if someone's like, don't eat this, this is bad. Like, don't eat it. Like for his, for this person's conscious sake, um, for his conscience, um, Paul says, now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have, we all have knowledge, knowledge puffeth, uh, puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet, uh, as he ought to know, but as but if any man love God, the same is known of him. Now concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other uh, God but one. Uh, for though there be uh, that are called gods, whether in heaven or the earth, or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, and whom of whom all are uh, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, and by whom are all things, and we by Him. Um, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto idols. So like, hey, some people eat these meats and foods like as foods offered to idols um, and their conscience being weak is defiled, but meat uh, commendeth us not to God. So like it doesn't like meat doesn't make us better to God or not for neither. If we eat, we are better. Neither if we eat not, we are the worse, but take heed lest any man or any by any means, this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered unto idols? And, th and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience... Ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my own brother to offend. So basically, in short, like if it if it's gonna if eating a certain type of food, especially those uh, he's talking to the Corinthians, because there there's idolatry in the in the uh, community, and some of the Christians like were like. Eh, I don't know about eating this meat at these big cookouts. And uh, so, uh, Paul calls those people weak, like they're weak in their faith. Like, I don't know if we should eat this stuff because apparently they don't have the knowledge that we are free. We have liberty to do to eat whatever we want to eat. Um, 
but he doesn't say like Christians, who cares what they think you're, you have Liberty eat whatever you want, no matter what they think. He's actually saying like, okay, if someone is not sure about it, don't eat it because that maybe that way you look kind of like um, arrogant or something. And they'll be like, Oh, I guess we can eat meat offered to idols. And, And maybe Paul's cautioning, like when someone's weak in their faith or in Liberty and they see someone using their Liberty to eat whatever they want, maybe it might misguide them somewhere else besides Christ or something. I think that's where Paul is trying to get to. Um, so we can eat whatever we want. Um, but we, shouldn't offend others in the faith by eating whatever you want if it's going to make them stumble now that doesn't mean cater to everyone well like not cater food to everyone (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't mean cater to everyone's uh faith because they're all weak because then that means we're all going to be weak in the end in our faith but i think uh uh an emphasis that we should put on is like teaching them that it's okay and that it, we have liberty. I think a lot of Christians don't realize what kind of liberty they have in Christ. Um, so would you say there's like a level of like discretion? Definitely discretion. Um, and it's not like, like if you don't want to eat stuff, don't eat it. Okay. Um, <laughs> but there is a, there is kind of a, an emphasis on like if someone's if it's going to be a stumbling block to someone especially like a babe in christ um, we call paul calls them babes in christ they only can drink milk they can't eat meat figuratively but maybe literally too because they're like oh don't eat meat unto offered into idols Um, we don't want to eat that meat and make them think that we're either sinning or make them think that it's okay to go uh, offer things unto false gods or something. So there's like, it's kind of a multifaceted reason not to just like eat all the bacon you want in front of someone that's like, I don't know if we should be eating bacon. So yeah, definitely discretion. And then, um, and then Colossians two 20, Paul says, uh, well, in in Colossians two, he talks about. Um, man, there's so much I could talk about um, because he's he's talking about the old way of you know of like circumcision versus like spiritual circumcision and and our our position in Christ. Um, he's saying and in verse thirteen, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened, made alive, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. So the law, the ordinances, work against us. Um, It says, which was contrary to us. So like the law was put there as kind of an enemy towards us because it's showing us that we can't, uh, make ourselves righteous and right in God's eyes. And it, it, and it talks about here that Jesus, verse 14, it says, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So like he took that law away instead of, you know, making us right in the law. He basically took it out of the way. 
um, and nailed it to his cross, having spoiled principalities and powers, and uh, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any uh, holy day or holiday or of the new moon or of the Sabbath day, which are shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And let, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels in uh, intr- uh, intruding into those things which... Uh, he hath not seen vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind uh, and, and not holding the head capital h that's christ from which all the body of joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of god um, and here's where my point is kind of wrapping up wherefore if ye be dead with christ from the rudiments of this world why uh, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? And in parentheses, he says, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using, um, after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will, uh, worship and humility and ne- neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So like, Okay, all these ordinances that say, like, don't eat these, don't taste these, don't handle these. Um, he's basically saying, like, okay, these are just, like, doctrines of men at this point. And, like, n- neglecting them or, uh, or not, you know, not honoring them. Like, it doesn't really do anything for the flesh at this point. Like, it doesn't do anything for people at this point. Um, really, yeah. It all comes down to uh, the liberty that we have in Christ. And I think a lot of people don't see that or realize that. It's like, oh, if I if I become a Christian, I have to, like, stop doing this or I'm going to go to hell. It's like, no, you're, you don't have to stop doing anything because it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus did. So um, a lot of people let that hold them back. And, you know... Uh, having the spirit indwelling you can change you like if you wanted to stop doing something um he gives you the power to stop doing that um and he gives you the liberty to do things um that because it's not it's not lawful or unlawful all things are lawful but not all things are expedient or edify so there could be bad or good about eating food um now, there is something to say about gluttony. And now a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, one of the seven deadly sins. Like that's There's no such thing as seven deadly sins in the Bible. Um, but gluttony is mentioned as a sin, or sometimes they might say uh, like surfeiting or something like that. Um, but really, that goes to anything. Like if you really look at it from a biblical point of view, anything in the world is not sinful until you start abusing it and letting it corrupt you or uh let letting it take over your mind like uh, well no i'm not going to get into this yet but <laughs> i'll save that for that another sounds, episode but that sounds vaguely similar um you know right? the idea of of being a you know of clinging to something yeah yeah like f- food okay you can abuse that and let it take over your life like 
there's always so many jokes about Baptists um, having like these massive potlucks and like, oh yeah, they they preach against drunk like being drunk a drunkard and like being like sexually perversed and murdering, but then they go be a glutton like wow what hypocrisy and th- that is kind of hypocrisy um having that vice um and not not eating for the use of food which is to nourish you now that's not to say that food can't be enjoyable and god made food to be enjoyable or we probably wouldn't eat that much like oh yeah i get to eat another wood chip like <laughs> Food, God made things to be enjoyed. And, you know, that enjoyment serves a purpose. So we actually would want to eat sustenance and survive. So, um, that, that makes me think of this really, really random, uh, bit of information, um, that I'm, you know, someone who knows a little bit more than I do, correct me, but, um, and I guess I could probably also just Google it and like, double check, but uh, the 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 guy who invented cornflakes, um, I can't remember his first name, but his last name is Kellogg. Yep, um, was a Christian scientist scientist, I believe, or I think something he might along. have been a. Um, for some reason, I want to say Seventh Day Adventist, but I don't think that's right. It could be something, though. something dealing with like fo- a focus on biblical or Christian health, like, and apparently that's how we got cornflakes. Is that he wanted something that didn't excite the senses? Well, I mean, I also heard that um, to keep young people away from like sexual immorality as well. <laughs> like he made that for that reason or something. I don't know if yeah, that's a, because a myth or not, but I think. I mean, that's what I also heard, too. And I think it's because, you know, the cornflake was, you know, specifically designed to be bland. And that, like, helps dulls, you know, our craving for, you know, sense, you know, yeah. sensory excitement. Or yeah. Something. So, like, Christians would say, like, it helps you... um take focus off of your flesh and like some people will like i only take cold showers so i don't please the flesh like okay cool but ecclesiastes does say like go thy way eat thy bread with joy and drink thy wine with a merry heart for god now accepteth thy works like you're supposed to have enjoyment warm shower yeah exactly (laughs) take what you need it no (laughs) um yeah i mean even like God made things for not only like man's pleasure, you know, eating food, but when you look at like, why did he do anything? It's for his pleasure. Like he made things because it pleased him. Um, Like he made the earth and angels and creatures and humans, like because it pleased him and that kind of builds his will off of that pleasure. So like things are made to be enjoyed. I mean, when you look outside in most areas of the world it looks really nice outside sometimes like especially if the sun is shining just right i took a nature hike this after this evening and it was amazing tons of animals and stuff lots of snakes my wife screamed a lot (laughs) we saw like five snakes she's like ah um i thought like a bear was attacking us at one point or something but no it was a snake (laughs) um but yeah things are made for enjoyment um so, but you know, we, we can abuse that enjoyment, enjoyment, 
with with food with violence even like okay a little violence here and there like okay sometimes it's needed but you can use that in the wrong way um again like like i said earlier like sexual perversion alcoholism um even just like bitterness and hatred like okay there might be there might be a place for hatred but you can abuse that as well. Like everything can be used in the right way, but everything can also be abused and become sinful against the purpose that God created it for. So, um, that's food. (laughs) I think like just to close out your, your side, I think, um, a lot of people, who might not be as well informed or, you know, who might have a different idea or something of, you know, a, a more Christian approach. Uh, I, and you probably have heard this and I've heard it a lot where people are like, Oh wow. They're, they're such hypocrites. They're not following these laws. You know? Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Back to that question of yours. Yeah. Go like ahead. He's, these Christians aren't, you know, are like they're eating shrimp and they're mixing their cloth and oh, yeah. whatnot. But that's that's the the thing they for I guess they don't realize is that like those laws apply to a certain people, to a certain time, to a certain circumstance. Yeah, and, and let me let me tell you this: a lot of Christians don't realize that too. Because even through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Christ gives all these really kind of hard commandments to swallow. Like, oh, if someone slaps my face, turn the other cheek. Or like, if they ask for like a, I forgot what it was. Like if they ask for like a robe, like give them the shirt off your back and like sell all that you have. And it's like, why aren't Christians doing that? Well, that's for Israel. Like everything from Genesis through through the the um and up until uh paul uh, receives revelation from christ even up until that because paul didn't immediately start preaching the the gospel of the grace of god everything was towards israel and everything after paul's writings are also towards israel um that's all for the prophetical timeline we're in what's called a parenthetical time frame where Paul he talks about his revelations and himself being born out of due time which is prophecy is due time because it's time that will be due um things that Jesus revealed to Paul and even Peter said like yeah Paul like the stuff that he's talking about is like so hard to understand because it's not it's not for Israel to understand those things now we're living in a time where, okay, Israel used to have all these great things going for them, but now Israel is basically made to nothing and everyone's on the same plane as being a Gentile, basically. So, like, there is no Jew or Gentile these days. We're all living under the full dispensing of God's grace on the earth. So there are no laws applying to us. There are no specific rules applying to us. We can eat shrimp. We can wear a polyester cotton blend and we can eat meat with our cheese. <laughs> you can take a warm shower. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. And we don't have to, uh, 
sacrifice bulls or keep the Sabbath. We don't have to, um, we don't have to, uh, partake in the feasts, um, in the future after this dispensation ends at the catching away of the, the body of Christ, there will be ordinances and laws to follow as you see in uh, Hebrews and the book of Hebrews going forward and looking back to the old Testament. So, um, it's, it's all, like you said, not a lot of people realize that stuff, um, that certain things are to certain people. Um, but a lot of Christians don't even know it either. They say like, Oh yeah, we don't have to do that. But like, why? Oh, um, well they will give the right answer. It's like, Oh, because we're in Christ, we have Liberty. Um, but a lot of Christians don't realize that that was given through Paul, but that's another point of, uh, clarity that we had to make. And that's not really along the lines of food. So, well, I, I think it's fascinating that I don't know, you, you, you spoke a lot about discretion and, uh, Liberty and, and Liberty and, Be a discretion. um, yeah, you. I guess it kind of reminds me a little of the Buddhist take on food a little. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to jump into that. Yeah. Uh, as He's I said, ready for I, seconds <laughs> <laughs> or dessert. Um, I, I said this at the beginning of the episode that the Buddha, you know lists four kinds of nutriment and one of them being edible food i think a really good starting point on describing what food you know food's role in buddhism um the buddha actually has a discourse about how one should how one should approach edible food how one how it should how edible foods should be seen and he gives a, a very, kind of a very visceral, stark uh, metaphor, which, so I, I'm just going to read it. Uh, so he says, how should edible food be seen? Suppose a couple has taken limited provisions and were traveling through a desert. They have with them their only son, dear and beloved. Then, in the middle of the desert, their limited provision would be used up and exhausted, while the rest of the desert remains to be crossed. The husband and wife would think, our limited provisions have been used up and exhausted, while the rest of the desert remains to be crossed. Let us kill our son, dear and beloved, and prepared dried and spiced meat. By eating our son's flesh, we can cross this desert. Let not all three perish. And... So they kill their son, prepare dried and roasted meat, and they eat their son's flesh. See, I thought this this episode was gonna make me hungry. <laughs> while while they're you're not getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> while they are eating their son's flesh, they would beat their breasts and cry, "Where are you, our only son? Where are you?" And then he asks his his students, "What do you think?" Would they eat their food for amusement or for enjoyment or for the sake of physical beauty and attractiveness? And they answer no. Wouldn't they eat that food only for the sake of crossing the desert? And they say yes. 
and the Buddha says, it is in such a way that I say the nutriment edible food should be seen. When the nutriment edible food is fully understood, lust for the five cords of sensual pleasure is fully understood. When lust for the when lust for the five cords of sensual pleasure is fully understood, there is no fetter bound by which a noble disciple might come back again to this world. And so, it, you know, the, the Buddha is not saying eat people. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to how that, how that couple reacted to eating their son they they lamented they weren't you know eating it for enjoyment for you know what what they say physical attractiveness or in beauty um they merely ate it to make it across the desert and the buddha stresses that we should take a similar approach to food um that it's for sustaining this body for for you know, keeping this body well enough to be able to practice the Dhamma. And, and so there's a, there's a kind of a verse or a, a, a part of a discourse that gets repeated throughout the Pali Canon that stresses moderation in eating and the, the 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 same approach to eating that he he kind of lays out in that that very lively metaphor um where he says you know you should be moder- you should be moderate in eating uh, re- reflecting wisely we'll take food neither for amusement nor for intoxication nor for the sake of physical beauty and attractiveness attractiveness but only for the endurance and continuance of this body, for ending discomfort, and for assisting the holy life, considering, thus I shall terminate old feelings without arousing new feelings, and I shall be healthy and blameless and shall live in comfort. And so, you know, he lists various, very pragmatic, uh, you know, reasons to eat, is to continue the body to help the body endure and he also says for ending discomfort and i think uh this kind of goes back to if you if you you're at all familiar with the the buddha's story of enlightenment he had practiced very ascetic self-mortifying practices one of which was a very very self-mortifying diet as you could say and he lists out in one sutta the it was the greater discourse on the lion's roar in uh, i believe that was the middle length discourses where he lays out this this practice that was popular among ascetics that uh they believed it was and it was tied to a view as well that they that that the view was that purification comes through food and the way to do that was, uh, he lists several different f- foods, starting with the the cola fruit, I think, and then going down to to rice, like just kind of going through these different possible diets that might purify one. 
And the last one he lands on is, is rice. And they say, say, uh, you know, the ascetics who practice this think, oh, you know, let, let us live on rice. So they eat rice, eat rice powder. They drink rice water. They make all kinds of concoctions out of rice. Um, and mm. they, they start sparsing that diet down to where it's one grain of rice a day. And he gives a very descriptive uh, details on what he looked like after doing that, where he could touch his spine through his stomach. His eyes were sunken like wells and, and he ends it saying, um, he says, if because of eating so little, if I wanted to defecate or urinate, I would fall over on my face right there. Um, because of eating so little, if I tried to ease my body by rubbing my limbs with my hands, the hair rotted at its root, fell from my body. And, you know, in the story, he, he's, he's suffering this horrible practice when a woman brings him rice milk or like rice pudding and, you know, he eats and all of his ascetic buddies are like, wow, he's so weak. He's eating food. And he realized, hey, you know what? There's merit in eating. There's a, a good reason to eat because uh, my body is and my in my mind as well is just so exhausted. I can't even practice. Um, there's no way this is going to liberate me from suffering if I continue this. So. He sets the precedence that there's a very important reason to eat. Um, but he also stresses this moderation, which um, there's this great little uh, sutta in, uh, I believe it's a connected discourses, um, where, and I just made a little summary I'll, I'll read. It's called A Bucket Measure of Food. So he says, at at Savati, uh, on that occasion, King Pasenadi of Kosala had eaten a bucket measure of rice and curries. Doesn't that just sound delicious? That does. Oh. I've, I've never had a bucket full of curry. I've had a bucket <laughs> full of shrimp at, um, what was that place called? Bubba Gumps. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, and you might relate to how the king felt afterwards. So King Pasenadi says, it says he, while still full, huffing and puffing, the king approached the Blessed One, paid homage to him, and sat down on one side. The, then the Blessed One, having understood King Pasenadi was full and was huffing and puffing, on, the, on that occasion recited this verse. And the, this is the verse the Buddha recited. When a man is always mindful, knowing moderation in the food he eats, his ailments then diminish. He ages slowly, guarding his life. And King Pasenadi, after hearing this, was just delighted and was like wow that's so useful so he hired a kid to recite this verse every time he ate so he would remember not to overeat <laughs> um so he doesn't have to you know huff and puff in pain man and and he uh, you know according to the sutta king pasenity slimmed down a bit and uh you know was feeling feeling good about himself there's some weird stories in the bible about uh you know larger people um and knives like sinking into their bellies because they're so big um, after someone stabs them. But no, back to the buckets. Uh, 
I just I I feel compelled to tell the story for some reason. But I was visit I, I was visiting some friends in Texas, and our flights were canceled. And I was I was I got to spend the day with this guy I didn't really know. Shout out to you. You know who you are. After I tell the story, um, <laughs> but we went you know viewing Texas the gulf side of texas and uh we were like hey let's eat at bubba gums that sounds great we've never been there oh i've never been there at least and we got a bucket or two of shrimp we're just chowing down having a great old time and then our friend that lives like a short ways away he calls us he's like hey want to meet up at golden corral i'm like oh brother we just ate (laughs) it's like we can't say no so we drive all the way there and after all these buckets of shrimp, this guy that I was with ate like a plate of meat, just like it would give you the meat sweats and like other, <laughs> like a few other plates. And like, I'm staring at him and I'm like, dude, like I told this, the other guy, like our mutual friend, I'm like, I'm really concerned for him because he's eating a lot. But this guy was really tall. Like he probably needed to eat all this because he was, he was like a giant almost, um, so for some reason, buckets just remind me of that, and I wanted to uh, interject and give a little side story, a little, a, a little side plate on our episode. <laughs> oh wow, that was That's... your free side. <laughs> oh man, there's a lot to be said about like indulging oneself in food. Um, like there's a couple of verses from the Dhammapada, the book of verses. Um, that says, and the, the way this chapter of the Dhammapada is set up, there's, it's, uh, one translation for the title is dichotomies. And I love that because it gives one verse and then gives the same verse pretty much in basically diametrically opposed. So one, one verse says, uh, just as a storm throws down a weak tree, so does Mara, who is like the embodiment of temptation and craving overpowers the man who lives for the pursuit of pleasures who is uncontrolled in his senses immoderate in eating and the the next verse says just as a storm cannot prevail against a rocky mountain so mara can never overthrow the man who lives meditating on the impurities who's controlled in his senses immoderate in eating and filled with faith and earnest effort and so uh, indulging doesn't bode well for a, a a good a good buddhist meditative practice um and you can kind of like even just think of very practical approaches like if you if you are really full um, you might get kind of tired, you probably just dis- like discomfort and you probably wouldn't be able to meditate very well anyway on like doing that. Um, but there's, there's a sutta that talks about what's called, uh, shackles of the heart. And, and he talks about, uh, kind of indulging in senses and one of the verses says a bhikkhu a bhikkhu is uh generally 
a monk a lot of times in the in the suttas it's actually referring just to someone who practices the dhamma so it says a bhikkhu eats as much as they like until their belly is full and indulges in the pleasures of sleeping lolling and drowsing as his mind does not incline to ardor devotion perseverance and striving this is the fourth shackle in the heart that he is not severed and a shackle of the heart is just something that you know that binds the mind like a clenched fist um <clears throat> and a lot of these shackles uh of the heart deal with greed one of which is being you know eating until the belly is full and indulging in sleeping lolling and drowsing so you can just imagine kind of the the comparison between doing that and you know especially if you're if you claim that you you know want to you know gain enlightenment or something and you just end up you know in a food coma (laughs) that's not a good look but uh (laughs) we call that a baptist nap no (laughs) we eat lunch and we go to sleep well, so they say. <laughs> but I, th- another aspect of food that I'm sure a lot of people think of when when Buddhist food comes up is, oh, you must be vegetarian. Vegetarian, you know. Yep. Yeah, you probably, you probably thought of that, you know, specifically when the topic of food came up. Um, and it might surprise people that the Buddha never specifically advocated for a purely vegetarian diet or vegan or anything. Um, and this is due to the nature of how the monastic community procured its food. And that's through alms rounds. So, you know, the man, the monastic community, uh, you know, adheres to a vow of voluntary poverty. They literally own nothing but maybe some robes and a big bowl, an alms bowl. And they cannot touch money. They can't keep food. Like, they are at the mercy of charity and generosity, really. Hmm. And so every every morning, on all, they go on alms rounds through the community, and the lay community provides them with food. And... You know, especially in places that might not be as, you know, that might not have access to a lot of different varieties of food. They they live with what they can get, you know, whether it be frog stew or something or whatever. And that's what they give the monastics is what they have. Hmm. And so a lot of these monastics live off of what the lay people give them. And that can literally be anything, meat, rice, vegetables, whatever. And in some, in some monastic practices, uh, you know, they, the bowls are pretty big. And so they, they're going around, several people are throwing different stuff, different things in the bowl. And in some, some monastic communities, they have to mix that up before eating because they have, they should approach this food impartially so who cares what it tastes like it's to sustain so they have to mix it up and Hmm. it can be kind of gross but i can imagine um, 
but in modern in modern day especially some of the later uh not the later but some different forms of buddhism that aren't specifically focused on monastic traditions like theravada um especially like mahayana and the tibetan tradition you see a little bit more of an emphasis on vegetarianism and a lot of the lay people of theravada also do um but it's it it's it adheres to the ideal within buddhism of non-harming of ahimsa where you know what causes the least harm eating meat or not eating meat well not eating meat does so let's do that um and there's been like a huge like movement within even monastic communities to say hey like if you want to support the of uh, the sangha of of bhikkhus and bhikkhunis like maybe think about giving us vegetarian food um because that will benefit all beings of <laughs> uh, but there is an instance in the suttas where the buddha the buddha describes three uh instances where meat should not be eaten by the monastic community um and and he says the meat should not be eaten when it is seen heard or suspected that the living being has been slaughtered specifically for oneself um so they can't see or hear the slaughtering of animals that they are fed or if they suspect that the animal has specifically been killed and prepared for them like oh the monks are coming let's prepare let's let's slaughter our best lamb for them like that's like that's not that's not cool <laughs> um, and and mm -hmm. it, it goes back to the you know the idea of karma and uh and well speaking of karma like the alms even place it it's it's interesting how alms giving is structured because you know the monks receive these offerings from the lay people and so yes the lay people sustain the monastic community but the monastics in return like not only teach them um but in a, in a sense they also give the lay people an opportunity to practice generosity um and to cultivate positive karma um and that's traditionally how alms giving is seen is like hey this is a great opportunity that the monastics are giving us let's you know let's offer them food uh, and in return, like we're, you know, we're, we're generating these, this, you know, this good merit, this positive merit that will benefit us in our practice. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like, I'm, you know, I just gained a new, another point. Woohoo. Uh, but it's like, you know, you're, you're sowing seeds of genuine generosity within yourself when you give, um, but that's a, kind of a little off topic about eating. But. I mean, we the topic about eating and food, I've seen like three other branches we could go off of already. <laughs> and I don't know which way to go. But um, that that's interesting about them not being able to 
eat meat that was specifically prepared for them or seen or heard about it. Yeah. Hmm. There's, there's also, I guess, I should not neglect to mention an aspect of eating within Buddhism that is, you know, kind of fasting. Um, I see. I was going to go there, too. I don't. I didn't even know. I I don't know if we should even save that for an episode because that could be a whole episode. Not eating could be another episode, <laughs> or fasting. That's that is true. Because this is this this episode is about eating, not not eating. <laughs> <laughs> but the next episode will be not food. Yeah. <laughs> um. If you thought this episode made you hungry, wait until the next one. <laughs> Don't save room because you you won't eat. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think I, I think I'll save what I have to say about that for that. I mean, there's so much we can go into for for this next one because like I said, that's a whole that's a whole topic on its own on my side at least and it sounds like on your side too yeah um yeah you you mentioned some stuff that made me think of some other stuff about food but i don't know if i want to get into it or not well i mean it doesn't really i don't think it's going to be that go i don't think it's going to go that deep into anything but um so is it kind of a a point of discernment for Buddhists to go vegetarian or vegan or whatever route they want to go? Or is that kind of like an assumed thing? Like, okay, since it's not like we might as well do this so it doesn't harm. So it does less harm. I think it's, I mean, it's really up to the individual. Like, and everyone approaches it differently. Like for, for me myself, it's, you know, not eating meat like refraining from eating meat even incrementally benefits the the animals that I'm not eating you know um and and I think it's yeah in a way it's a you know a, a practical application of the of ahimsa of non-harming if I don't eat meat, there's not a being necessarily being killed right. to, you know, to provide me with that meat. So, like, there's a hypothetical, like, one, you know, less animal or whatever, like, being killed. And also, you know, there's there's this the karma side of it is that you know i'm and yeah maybe there's some outward you know outward karmic response but i think more practically there's an inner karmic response of because i have refrained from eating meat i can generate you know maybe more compassion or more kindness or more respect for life um i mean the suttas even say that 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 bhikkhus should 
respect plant life as well. I mean, obviously we can't stop eating plant life. And I think in, in Buddhism, it's, plants technically are not sentient. But hmm. um, there's like cultivation of more thoughtfulness, of more compassion for sentient beings through refraining from eating meat as well as a you know perhaps hypothetical practical application of you're reducing how many how many sentient beings are being harmed through the consumption of meat would it be maybe unskillful to eat meat or something along those lines i think it, it it could be it could be unskillful to eat meat i mean even when you look at the eightfold path uh there's the there's the aspect of right livelihood which is you know what you do to support yourself and the buddha listed several things that are outright very unskillful which is you know selling and making poisons uh selling people and also butchering and weapons uh, making and selling weapons they're hmm. all unskillful because the only reason the the only reason and outcome of those are the harm of sentient beings and so one should refrain from those if one is to attempt to practice the path to liberation okay so what is your favorite food <laughs> I knew I knew this was I knew this was gonna be asked sometime today. Um I feel like the, the Buddhist answer should be like the 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 most, you know the food that w- which sustains me. But <laughs> but I love you know, I love Indian food. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if I can choose one one dish from that cuisine. Right. Um and Thai food and I, I love black olives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. See, like, as a kid, it's easy to choose one thing. But, like, as you get yeah. older, like, I, variety is good. Like, oh, I can fresh fruits. Mm. Fresh fruits are amazing. Man. I, I think I tend to, like, if I had to choose a food, like, I just love popcorn. I don't know why. I just love it. It's my favorite. But I love Indian food too, and me- like Mediterranean. Like hummus is one of my favorite foods. Like if I could just have popcorn and hummus, like I'm done. <laughs> you know, if I if I had to choose one food, one food, I will choose red split lentils. I can live off of red split lentils. Like that is my go-to food when I'm like I don't know what to eat. Mm, lentils just gonna. Boil up a pot of lentils, eat it with a little salt and some, you know, some vegan butter and some nutritional yeast. Mm. It's like my, that is actually probably my favorite food now that I think of it. That's awesome. I'll have to, I'll have to try that recipe. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. And you could obviously turn it into delicious Indian dishes as well, like the use of lentils in Indian food is genius. Hmm. It's a great source of protein, fiber. It's That's true. Man. I yeah, it's I like a vegetarian's dream. 
<laughs> lentils. And they're cheap. They are cheap. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, I don't... I think it's because no one... Like, not a whole lot of people... Like, lentils is just not a common food. Like, oh, yeah, let's cook up some lentils. Like, you don't think about it. But it uh, it I sounds do. like it's a well-rounded food. Yeah, well, I know you do. Um, I was watching The Chosen, that show about Jesus with the kids the other day, because I was showing them the episode with the kids, episode three, I think, of season one. And it's like, what's your favorite food? And Jesus said, Bread. I'm like, I feel that. (laughs) I remember that. It's like bread for many reasons. And I think it was supposed to be kind of like a biblical reference. But in the Bible, you see the resurrected Jesus, like in his new body and everything, like eating fish and honeycomb with his disciples. So like even in the heavenly realm, you eat food. And even like the Bible mentions like corn from heaven. When the Bible talks about corn, it's usually talking about like kernels of grain so it's not like they were like picking off stalks of corn and like eating corn on the cob in the gospels. They, it was probably like wheat kernels of wheat or something. But no, um, that's that's better. I'm not a fan of corn. It can be good. Um, and the you know manna from heaven. There's some interesting verses on that where it's the head of it was a head of the one of the seven heads of the dragon. Uh, s- that was that God smote and it rained down as manna from heaven to feed Israel. Like they were just eating dragon head or something. It's so, it's so weird. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. Jesus, you know, when you look through the Bible, there's a lot of food related stuff. Um, so much food related stuff. It's kind of ridiculous. I think that's true of most religious traditions. Like food plays such a huge role. Yeah, just like religions and culture. Yep. Yeah, and like just looking through the discourses uh, in the Sutta Pitaka, uh, I just read a sutta yesterday that had nothing to do with food, but it was called the Honey Ball, and it. It was like a metaphor with this sweet, you know, sweet doughy ball of honey and flour and and how it real and how the the teaching through the discourse was was like a honey ball. It was sweet as as if a starving thirsty person came upon a honey ball and you know, was delighted and nourished by it. Hmm. And so there's food everywhere. Yeah, the 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 Bible talks about things being sweet like honey. Or maybe like uh, as apples of gold or uh, different, you know, a lot of emphasis on fruits like grapes and there's pomegranates, uh, there's um, fig fig trees. I mean, trees is one thing we can always look at too. I know you wanted to do an episode on trees too. So this episode has branched into like five already. <laughs> <laughs> branched <laughs> no save the tree puns for that episode <laughs> we're still on food sorry i went out on a limb there <laughs> man okay puns are uh, puns are not just a buffet for you to pick and choose <laughs> stay on topic <laughs> um 
Sorry, I just can't. I just can't stop dishing them out. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> That's a lot better. Um, I'm interested to see what our viewers and listeners think about food, especially what their favorite food is. No. <laughs> um, What's your favorite food, guys? Um, and also, how does food relate to your spirituality? What are some of? Do you have memories of food with, 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 with religion, with spirituality? Ooh, I remember a lot of. That's a good one. I, I remember a lot of sandwiches uh, growing up at church. That's weird. I don't remember sandwiches at all. I remember it's the first time I had a tomato on a sandwich, and I changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so early on too. I remember gummy worms in like a in a pudding and Oreo dirt stuff. I I remember and a kid yeah. cried about it. Um, I do. I remember. If that you're watching, if you guys are watching this live, drop a comment. We're I'm monitoring YouTube right now, so if you're on YouTube, drop a comment. Um, I remember, uh, like food in my like experience and faith, definitely like you know communion, grape juice, and the unleavened bread, or usually it's like a lot of people use like saltine crackers sometimes if they're really cheapening it up. Or buying the pre-frozen, like the frozen, like you just thawed out for a minute and it's, it tastes disgusting. It tastes like a raw pasta. Um, but, you know, un, like bread is a big thing in the Bible too, especially with like leaven and unleaven. Um, a lot of times during uh, uh, during feasts and the priests and everything um, in the temple, they had to use unleavened bread and that was bread without leavening. Um, and there's a lot of symbolism in the Bible about leaven being like representing sin, like just a little bit of leaven in the whole lump will like leaven the whole loaf of bread. Like it will, it will affect it some way. Um, so like even just a little bit of sin is going to affect everything. Um, but I mean, you could still eat, it's not a sin to eat leavened bread or anything, but I've we've I've made unleavened bread and it's way better than the stuff you get at prepackaged at a church communion ceremony. <laughs> no hard tack. No, no. No, I mean this uh unleavened bread it was kind of more like a corn tortilla sub like a drier corn tortilla like kind of feeling. It was good though. Oh, interesting. It was good. But you see sometimes a lot of people will show like Jesus doing um, the Passover feast, you know, the Last Supper, um, with unleavened bread. But a lot in the shows, it's always like a really fluffy pita or something. It's like no, that's not unleavened. That's that's leavened <laughs> bread. They're not they're not gonna be eating that for Passover. Um, and you know, the grape juice and wine, alcohol is another topic we could go on to. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Um. um yeah, that's about the extent of my food experiences with. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, do you have like any memories, specific specific memories? Okay, I do have specific memories regarding like faith related food, and that's all the delicious food I ate in Israel. Ah, can't get over it. It's, it's so amazing. That's where I learned. <laughs> to love hummus that's where oh man we were visiting these missionaries in their house um 
we did like a kind of like a church service and then afterwards it's like yeah let's have a campfire outside and visit and they brought out this dome it's like why are they putting a dome over the fire and here comes a ball of dough and they like plop it down it's like dude they're making bread like they're making pita bread and then they bring out this huge thing of homemade hummus the best hummus i've ever had in my life um and I make hummus all the time now. Like, it's so easy to make. It's so delicious. Uh, it's, you it's, say it's easy, but I tried once and messed it up somehow. Yeah, well, <laughs> I will teach you one day. Yes, please. Yep, it's so easy. It's lentils. so You can't mess up. You can't. Well, you can mess it up, but. I did. Well, you learn. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I learned to love shawarma in israel and um oh man so so much stuff there it was so good not necessarily like faith faith based but you know um seeing all like the different kosher culture and everything over there and halal and everything like that was really interesting and uh and just the traditional dishes of israel was almost a religious experience experience for me <laughs> like the shawarma and saint peter's fish like it's like a traditional mm. thing in in the, the Galilee area, apparently, in in Israel, basically. Um, Turkish I, coffee. I that's like the only some of the only coffee I drink now is Turkish coffee. That's good stuff. It is. It's amazing. Good stuff. I I remember uh, visiting a long time ago, visiting your church, and there was a pie auction. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah they so they they uh they like are people of the church they'll bake pies and desserts and whatnot they bring one to feed the people there and one to sell and usually we sell or auction off the pies for money that goes towards like missions like usually it's our missionaries and man sometimes it's ridiculous how much money people spend on pies like i've seen them go for like two thousand dollars for a pie and like Whoa. we've raised thou like tens of thousands of dollars in one night just for that and it's it's a fun thing everyone loves it because it's fun and then the ones the people that have nothing else to do with their money they love to give especially in that kind of cheery atmosphere of pies and our pastor will usually get up with the microphone and do the auctioning himself and it's usually a riot. I'm glad you were, you were able to experience that. <laughs> <laughs> my my memories of like you know my the first memories that pop up in my head as like religious in a religious setting probably isn't as uh as festive and loud, but <laughs> I do remember at my temple, I think it was like very early spring. Um, yeah, it may have even been like Tibetan New Year or something. Uh, there was a group of visiting Tibetan monks and they had made a home a homemade noodle soup, like a, a Tibetan noodle soup with homemade noodles. Hmm. I've never had a soup as good as that since wow it and it, it may have, it it was probably because it was a very dreary cold day and you come out of you come out of the cold into the warmth of the temple with 
you know, the whole song is there with you and you're just eating delicious homemade noodle soup. <laughs> oh, it was, it was glorious. That's awesome. Man. But it might surprise you that um, during non-COVID times, we Buddhists also like a good potluck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I think Baptists take too much pride in potlucks because everyone does potlucks. Even the secular yeah. do pot. Like we used to do the best, throw the best potlucks at work in a non-religious setting. So that was always good fun. <laughs> Man, we could go on forever about food. Um, yeah. Any last words besides more? <laughs> Man, I don't know. I don't know if I have room enough for any more. <laughs> Make room. No, <laughs> just go on a fast because part yeah, two will be say. not food. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Well, that was good, man. Compliments to the chef. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to squeeze out more puns. <laughs> Man, stick a fork in it. We're done. <laughs> oh man, yes. <laughs> oh, man. It's too rich. Well done. <laughs> These are gonna start getting bad. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, they are. <laughs> you should probably just stop. <laughs> yes. Um yeah, we've been going on for quite a while. Thank you guys for listening, for watching, for eating. <laughs> uh, we've, we're glad you came to our table, and we're always glad to share this meal with you. Um, <laughs> please um, reach out to us. We can take orders to go. No. <laughs> <laughs> Here's our menu. Um Baptistandbuddhist at gmail.com. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We have a big following there for some reason. We don't post our episodes, but maybe that's why people love us there. Um <laughs> uh, everywhere else. YouTube, where else everywhere else. Message us if you want. Like, subscribe, share, unsubscribe if you don't like us message us anyways we want to know what Tell us put, how much you hate us we want to know what put a bad taste in your mouth <laughs> oh my gosh. we know now what it is all these puns oh, no these puns are sweet <laughs> i'm gonna sweet puns i'm gonna, I'm gonna relish this <laughs> wow like so i can't believe i went through a whole whole episode on food without telling the one stupid Buddhist food joke. Go for it. So the Dalai Lama walks up to a hot dog vendor. And he says, can you make me one with everything? Well, that has... You have guys have been watching and listening to the Baptist. And the Buddhist. With Mark. And Brian. And until next time, save room for more. Bye-bye.